Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I'm Steve Letart, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer, delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Welcome to the sixth episode of the NASCAR on NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Thanks again for listening. Uh, We have our first repeat guest on the program this week with Parker Kligerman, who, uh, in addition to being Camping World Truck Series points leader, also happens to be an NBC Sports analyst. And uh, we talked to Parker a couple of weeks ago about uh, how his season has gone, uh, his return to trucks, Obviously, it's it's gone uh, about as well as he could have expected so far. So we, we, we touch on that again in this episode, but this is really more about a recap of the season and hitting on some hot-button issues in NASCAR, specifically the Sprint Cup Series, although we also talk about the Xfinity Series a little bit. Uh, the goal of this podcast certainly will be to have personalities on every week to talk uh, about their lives, their careers, and whatnot in NASCAR, in stock car racing. But we also want to take time to uh, recap what we've seen developing uh, on the track and off the track during the course of the season. So that's what Parker and I do this week. Uh, we, we cover a number of topics, uh, and several of them he has great insight into. We talked a lot about Las Vegas winner Brad Keselowski. Parker, uh, Parker Kligerman drove for Brad Keselowski, was a teammate of his at Team Penske, so he has some good insight into uh, his personality and what he's gone through uh, in this recent 33-race winless streak that, that ended at Las Vegas. Talked a little bit about the lower downforce package. Uh, for the most part, I think positive reviews at Las Vegas. Parker has a really good way of, of putting things in layman's terms, as he does on NASCAR America on a regular basis. So he, he talked a lot about what he saw from that lower downforce package and why he thinks it was it was a success both at Atlanta and Las Vegas and maybe where NASCAR could go next. Uh, we talked a little bit about Furniture Row Racing's uh, appeal and then withdrawal of appeal on co- uh, crew chief Cole Pern. We, we, we touch on the, the strategy of that. And uh, finally, also talk about Phoenix, what we're expecting this weekend. Kevin Harvick certainly entering as a favorite. Parker talks about if that's going to remain the storyline, even with the lower downforce package. And Parker also had some interesting thoughts on the Xfinity series and uh, why things are different this year. They might look the same if you just look at the winner's column, but he feels as if if you look beyond that and look at the concept of of the playoffs coming into this series, things have changed quite a bit. So uh, let's get to it. Without further ado, here's uh, our guest, Parker Kligerman. Okay, joined again by Parker Kligerman for the second time on the NASCAR NBC podcast. We got great response last time to his appearance, so we appreciate him coming back. And, and Parker, before we get started, I, th- I think we got to start here. I mean, 
still the truck series points leader. Hey, that, that's got to feel good. <laughs> hey, that is good. And you know what? We get to milk it for about four weeks in total in this whole deal. So, I mean, literally, if we can come out of Martinsville as the points leader, then there's another, like, three or four weeks after that. I, I might hold the longest points lead uh, with the fewest amount of races ever in the sport. So, yeah. But we, we have a slim lead over Hemrick, though. It's only one point. So it, it'll be a tough, a tough, tall order to, to hold on to it. Hey, all that matters is uh, that, that number one ranking. And uh, we'll, we'll, Exactly. We'll, before we get to it, I'll, I'll just ask you, I mean, is it, has it made any difference? I know last time you were saying the plan was six races and then kind of see where the team is at. I know it's a smaller team. Has it had any impact in terms of scheduling or sponsorship? Man, I tell you, you know, there's – there's a saying in racing, and you'll know this, and everyone talks about it, winning fixes everything. So we haven't won, but being in first place, it's something that involves what you're doing in the racing uh, realm matters a lot. And I think, you know, for our sponsors, Valvoline, Advanced Auto Parts, uh, Black Tire Service, it just gets everyone so pumped up. The team, uh, you know, my owner, Ricky Benton, he's he's absolutely ecstatic and over the moon right now to, you know, see what we're doing. And uh, I think, you know, it just gets everyone feel positive and, and to have positive vibes and positive vibes and, you know, positive attitudes uh, can hopefully breed more success and more people want to be a part of that. So uh, we'll see. I think everyone just, you know, we've, we've already made some commitments and changes to be even better come uh, Martinsville and especially Dover and Kansas and Charlotte. So, um, you know, we're, we're going to go out there and try to win one of these things in the next four and see what happens. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we'll certainly be keeping an eye on you in the Camping World Truck Series. Uh, for now, though, we, we've certainly been keeping an eye on the Sprint Cup Series and uh, wanted to bring you in and, and talk a little about what we've seen through three races of the 2016 season. And we're going to start, of course, with uh, Brad Kozlowski's win at Las Vegas. Parker is no stranger to Brad Kozlowski. He was a teammate of his at Team Penske. He also drove for him uh, as well. So he, I, I think he's got some, some special insight into, um, into Brad and, and the makeup of the 2012 champion. And, and one I wanted to start with, Parker, is I'm – I'm sure that many listeners have seen this, but his his spotter, Joey Meyer, after the race, talked a little about with uh, ESPN.com's uh, Bob Pockris, talked a little about how Brad Keselowski had been ornery over the last year. And, and the reason for that was, as Joey Meyer explained, he knew that Joey Logano, his teammate, has the exact same equipment, exact same cars, and this was Brad Keselowski's first Sprint Cup win in 33 races, whereas Joey Logano, of course, uh, led the circuit in victories last year and, and has been winning a lot more often than Brad Keselowski. What, what, what do you make of, of, of hearing that, and, and how does that kind of blend into who, who Brad Keselowski is as a person? Well, I, I, I don't doubt it. Uh, you know, I've probably spent more time um, in connection with Brad in NASCAR than I did without him <laughs> in a lot of ways. <laughs> you know, he came to Penske about the same time I broke uh, into doing my first NASCAR starts at the end of '09. Um, and, you know, I, I raced for his truck team a little bit in 2010. I was his test driver on the 22 car when he won the championship on uh, his backup driver. Um, you know, from there, we, we ended up doing the truck series in 2011. I was his test driver for the cup car. I was his test driver in 2012 when he won the Sprint Cup championship. So I've kind of been there through it. I've seen his accession. You know, I've kind of been a fly on the wall in a lot of places. Uh, some places, you know, some things I didn't get to see, but, you know, definitely being around him was, was able to kind of pick up on. And, um, you know, knowing Brad, he's he's a – He's very, very focused on being a leader. Um, you know, when he came into Penske Racing, um, you know, he came in there with the idea and the objective to to, to get his points across, to, to walk in there and get the things that he thought had to be done to go out there and win a championship, which happened. 
Uh, and, you know, I think that really endeared him, obviously, to Penske Racing and Roger Penske. But I think when he first came in there, there was definitely a lot of people that thought, you know, okay, what, what you know, anyone can come in here with a blank sheet or a large rap sheet of things that need to be changed, but will they really execute and will they make, you know, will they go out there and perform when they get that? And he did. So fast forwarding to uh, the 22 car in the Spring Cup, I believe he was a big proponent of getting Joe Logano to be the driver of that car. Um, I think he saw Joey as a young guy that, could add to the team, add to what they're doing at Penske Racing, but I don't think any driver wants to get beat by their teammate, uh, especially if you've handpicked them. So, <laughs> uh, I think, you know, you, it, I wouldn't doubt it, but I think Brad's also a smart enough driver to know that, some, you know, he definitely, um, you know, in terms of would he change what he's doing and that sort of thing, no, I think he knows what makes him successful and what he needs, but it's, it, it's for anyone in racing, if you, if you know you're in the same equipment and you're not the one doing the best, uh, that can eat away at you just in the in the side of being a human and a and a you know a competitor. Uh, so I, I I don't doubt it, but I think you know right now he he can silence that that feeling for now. Yeah, yeah, and I I think you hit on it right there, Parker. That's something that we've heard about too with Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson. I mean, Jimmy Johnson probably doesn't become a six-time champion if Jeff Gordon doesn't say that's my guy. And in the case of Joey Logano, from all accounts that we've heard and as, as you just mentioned it, it seems like he probably doesn't drive for team Penske unless Brad Keselowski goes to the brain trust and says this is really the guy that I want as my teammate and I should look at and I'm sure yep. I mean you can speak to this as a racing driver that's got to be frustrating to to basically handpick the guy you want to to race against you in exactly the same car knowing that a situation can unfold like it did last year where even though Brad Keselowski is the guy with the championship, it's we all know this is what have you done for me lately, and I'm sure it's it's more difficult when you're getting beat week in, week out by by the guy that you wanted to be your teammate. Yeah, and I think, Nate, if I were to ask you, you know, if you're going for the same story and uh, as a journalist and someone scoops you on the story, I assume, you know, and you had the same option or same interview time with the person, wouldn't that, you know, that would upset you in some way, you know, just because that's your job to go out there and get the best of something, right? Right. Um, the, even if you're given the same tool. So, I mean, it, you definitely hit the nail on the head. I mean, it definitely, it's one of those things where, you know, if you're given all the same tools and all the same uh, opportunities, then, you know, if you're not having the same success, you can question yourself, you can question the other people around you who have the same tools that, you know, are working with the same tools as the other team. But I think that the really successful drivers we see out there, that when they go in tough times or successful teams, they don't start doing that, questioning each other, questioning, you know, every little thing. Mm -hmm. They know what's made them successful. They stick to it, and sure enough, it comes around again. And uh, I think, you know, you'll see that with that two-car. And a lot of times it just takes a small breakthrough to, to cut through some of the, you know, a lot of times it can be luck. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, it, you know, there's so many variables in racing. Uh, I saw James Hinchcliffe had an article out here just the recent couple of days, and he said something about, you know, there were so many variables as a race car driver that we become control freaks. So if we can control 10 of those thousand variables, we feel like we've got it all under control. But there's still thousands of variables out there that we just don't have control of, and that's the luck factor. And I think, uh, you know, that can always factor in. Yeah. Do we sometimes maybe overlook this, Parker? I mean, in Formula One, that there's no bones about it, that it, there's two teammates and it's cutthroat. I mean, you are judged by whether or not not only you out finish the guy you're racing against, but how you do in every practice session and qualifying. It's all about 
Where do you stack up against the guy who's driving the same car? Do, do, do we miss that dynamic sometimes, you think, in NASCAR because there is so much more focus on, I think, team and teamwork maybe than, than other racing series? You, you hit the nail. No, definitely. And that's the thing because we, we have such a – we put such a bigger emphasis on the human element of, of the racing and of uh, motorsports, whereas Formula One, it is so technologically advanced. There's so much data – computerization, et cetera, that it really comes down to if you don't go as fast as your teammate, you're doing something wrong, and you'll know exactly what he's doing, so you need to go out there and mimic exactly what he's doing. That's the problem. Um, you know, for NASCAR, one, we don't, you know, the data is sort of crept in, but two, at the end of the day, there's such a large human element that there's no way to pinpoint exactly what you're behind on, right? right. Um, and also, the cars are not as consistent. You know, our cars have a lot more dynamicism to them. Um, you know, there's a lot more moving parts in terms of, you know, um, I'm trying to think of the way to put this. In terms of the things that can change, you know, a lot of things in F1, they, they try to make it as static as possible. Hmm. Uh, that's what achieves the best lap time and the best speed over the course of a run and, and li- it limits the human element, right? right. For us, we, we, our rules are designed to keep the human element a part of it. To keep, you know, why don't we have pit speed limiters like Kurt Busch asked yesterday? Because it's a human <laughs> element. It's one thing you could make a mistake on. Why don't we have one single lug nut like every other racing series? Because there's a human element of having five that, that picture has to hit. We keep that in there, one, for the entertainment factor, and I think, two, because it does keep humans a part of it, and that, for me, makes it a, a sport more than just a technological uh, show. Right, right. Uh, so that, yeah. long story short, that does get away from comparing teammate to teammate too much, which we just don't do as much. Yeah, know? yeah, that's fascinating. That's an interesting way to look at it. I didn't even consider the static versus moving parts side of the equation, um, but that's that's very true. Um one more, one more thing I want to touch on with, with Brad Keselowski before we move on. I remember you saying this to me once. Uh, you've driven for both Brad Keselowski and the defending Sprint Cup Series champion Kyle Busch. And you once said something to me that really struck me and I'm sure would surprise a lot of people is these guys maybe have more in common um, than, than people realize. And we know that they've certainly had their differences on the track, but – T- tell me and you know, tell the listeners, like, what, what, did, what did you see in driving for both of those guys, Brad Keselowski and Kyle Busch, that, that makes them similar? Well, without getting myself in trouble. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't worry about that, I, man. I'm talking <laughs> about two champions here, but no, I'm, uh, I, I would say this. They are more similar than you would think, and I, I would go down to saying that they are very much the same person um, in terms of being a competitor. Both of them want to win more than anything. They live, breathe, eat and consume racing and NASCAR racing. That is their sole thing in life. It's a sole thing that's driven them and gotten them where they are, and that is what they continually focus on. Um, but how they go about that is different. You know, what you find with Brad is that he looks at the mental side of, of racing. He looks at the mental side of the sport, as I say a lot of times, and how him and uh, himself and Paul Wolf won that championship in 2012 was by outsmarting and innovate, out-innovating the 48 team. Um, Kyle Busch is more in the sense of more, you know, in your face, this is what you got. This is, you know, it's very much a, um, there's not much hidden behind the scenes in terms of that. He's going to put it all on the line out there and try and force his way into the win. But I think the way they conduct themselves amongst their teams, the way they conduct themselves um, as human beings, I, I just find that when I was with them, they, they reminded me a lot of each other as racers. 
Um, and it was just two different approaches, but at the end of the day, they were both diehard racers um, that really struck me as being a lot more similar than we'd think. Yeah, definitely, definitely so. And certainly both of them had success Sunday uh, at Las Vegas with Brad Keselowski making that, that winning move on Kyle Busch. He faded to fourth, but uh, still got his third straight top five to ent- uh, open his title defense. And you know, a lot of the talk about, about Sunday's race, Parker, certainly was was the low downforce package. And I, I think it was there was mostly positive reaction to it. I thought it was a little bit mixed. Uh, if you listen to some of the drivers, certainly Brad Keselowski and Dornert Jr., really spoke positively about it, but but Carl Edwards, who of course didn't finish as well, uh, <laughs> expressed that he would have liked to have uh, even more downforce off. As I know he's been calling for that for a long time, and and I know you're you're on his side. What, what, what do you make so far of what we've seen uh, in the past two weeks with with a low downforce? Well, I mean, Brad mentioned it in his uh, interview to Kelly Status on uh, NASCAR America, where he said, you know. It definitely had an effect. It was definitely different, but we could do better, you know, and I think it's just in the, the vein of let's keep taking it off. Um, I, I think we are starting a – we will be – NASCAR Sprint Cup Racing could hopefully start a rhetoric and a change and a thought process change throughout all of motorsports worldwide by showing as we take this downforce off, I guarantee you this racing is going to get better. Um, and I think you're seeing that. You know, the drivers are asking for it. I think Vegas was markedly better than we saw last year or 2014. If you if you look at that last run, you had the, tw- the two-car ran behind the 22-car so closely for at least 15 laps of that run that I, I was actually mind-boggled because in years past, in uh, Joey Meyer and Brad Kozlowski came up with this term when I was at, at Team Penske, and that was this bubble, where if hmm. you got in a certain range of the car in front of you, if they took your line away or suddenly, and you could be two to three, maybe four tenths faster than that car, when you caught them and got in that bubble, if you didn't break through the bubble and get to their rear spoiler and move them out of the way quickly, you were going to slow down their speed and there was no way you were going to pass them. And this is what we fought for the last five, even ten years now. Um, and suddenly, what I saw in Vegas was that that didn't exist as much. You saw that tw- that two car run behind the twenty two car and be able to save his and conserve his equipment, conserve his tires, get by him, and drive on to catch the eighteen. I just I haven't seen that in years past. And I and I looked even further back. The, the three car forty eight. They were starting to catch. And if you looked how close all top five of those cars were. At the end of the run, and in terms of speeds, it was remarkable compared, I believe, to 2014. I haven't done the statistics on it, but I would say that they were either closer than they've been in recent years, or they were able to run closer for the whole period of the run than we've ever seen. Uh, so I just think this is going the right direction. We also saw, you know, one of the things Jeff Burton mentioned on NASCAR America was that in the old package, when Kyle Busch was getting caught by Brad Kozlowski, he could have just moved his line, taken Brad's line away, and probably held him off for another five laps, maybe the entirety of the race. Hmm. And instead, there was no way. There's no way because the arrow didn't matter as much. That if he went in front of him, Brad was still just going to get there with his mechanical grip, move, move the 18 out of the way, and continue going on. And that's what really looked different to me, and I think this is just awesome. I'm, I'm so pumped for the sport right now. Um, it's really revitalized you know, so many things, I think, about some tracks where we think we're going to have a boring race, and suddenly, in my mind, I'm thinking, wow, this could be something spectacular or something we haven't seen in a long time. Uh, and that's really been cool for me, and I'm just, I'm really, as I said, I'm just so pumped. I think it's going to be really cool yeah, going yeah, forward. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I think, you know, visually, the results have been there, the, the way drivers have been campaigning and, and lobbying for them, as you said, like the, the tire fall-off, 
and and everything does create that potential for for more passing and and not getting stalled out the way you were saying Joey Meyer and Brad Kozlowski were describing it that bubble that, that 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 certainly didn't seem to be evident Sunday and like you said like as Jeff Burton said I mean it doesn't seem as if that the leader had that um, just unbeatable advantage. One thing I do want to ask you about, though, in, ter- in terms of the tire fall off, I mean, certainly it, it, it seemed like that it, it was evident softer tire was, was having an impact Sunday. But I thought it was interesting that in the case of three of the top five finishers, Keslowski, runner-up Joey Logano, fifth-place card of Austin Dillon, none of those guys stopped when everybody took two on that mm-hmm. under that final caution um and yet they were still i mean grant they they had changed for the stop before that and the cars that that took two that finished around them like kyle bush had done two and two on their last two stops what, what do you make of that how, how do you explain that to the fan i mean tire fall off obviously was more of a factor but yet the cars that stayed out were, were the ones that finished one two yeah well i mean that was interesting because it looked like early in the race two tires wasn't going to work uh, when the 11 tried it, and, you, you know, we saw that, and it was like, oh, like, well, like, there is a lot of fall off here. Um, I think some of that, I'll be honest, had to do with the changing conditions. I think if it was a hot, sunny day like they practiced in, you would have seen them all over the racetrack, and that probably wouldn't have worked as well. Hmm. Um, but I think some of that also went with, you know, they conserved their tires. They didn't run a lot of laps before they had that pit, um, comparatively to a run. And, I mean, at the end of the day, Vegas is a low abrasion surface um you know it, it's just not going to have the same you know abrasiveness as the other surfaces but we also had no tire failures uh there that weekend so if i'm sitting there and i'm looking at that and saying hey look you know we want a softer tire with more fall off do so you look and say these tires look pretty good over the course of a run these guys were even able to double stint them um you know able to just continue on further than we thought a fuel run would be uh, so why don't we come back here something a little more or a little less, you know, a little less, right. uh, hard, you know, right. something that wears a little more. Um, and I think that's definitely something that Goodyear's doing. You know, this might've been the first, first stab at this situation with this downforce package and everything. And now they look at it and say, Hey, you know what? We probably could get away a little more and it's just going to get better. Um, and if we take more downforce off, the car slides around more, they lower the corner speeds, they go to a softer tire. It's all going to happen, but we're just seeing the start of it. And I think it's encouraging what we're seeing, but obviously it's not all going to happen right away overnight. You know, Rome wasn't built overnight. This isn't going to happen overnight. Right. Certainly not. Uh, you mentioned Goodyear Parker, and that, that brings up something that I I did want to ask you about. I, uh, this is somewhat technical and I made the, the, the mistake of, of trying to explain it on Twitter last night to several fans, despite... Uh-oh. Covering I'm this stuff, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm already making you nervous. Despite covering this stuff for 14 years, I, I of course have no idea uh, how it actually works uh, in terms of the cars themselves. Um, so we, we we know that downforce removing downforce allows Goodyear to to build a softer tire because they're not worried about all these forces uh, conspiring to keep the, the the car glued to the ground. But we also know that teams are going to regain some of this downforce they already regained some of it like through the off season from what i understand like with their little tricks of they go underneath the car and they find little tiny areas that all stack up to give them a lot of the the counts of downforce back that they lost can you explain like how that still works that i mean it, it it's almost like you're removing downforce so goodyear can build the softer tire but as teams gain it back, it's not in a way that's maybe as harmful as the the original way that the downforce was on the car that prevented Goodyear from from you know building a softer tire. Does that make sense? No, that makes complete sense. Um, 
two things. First and foremost, you know, people always say, well, you know, why do the teams keep finding this new area? Well, if you're forced to look somewhere else, you'll find something. I always go back to, you know, the robbers are always ahead of the cops, right? right? Because <laughs> right. They, they got the leg up. We're trying to skirt the rules. They're trying to react to what we find, um, being NASCAR. So, you know, that's our job as racers. And all the engineers that we employ and the crew chiefs and, uh, you know, the organizations, we, we employ all that because we want to find ways to maximize the rules to make the car as fast as possible. Um, there will be a turning point where that doesn't happen. You know, if you were to cut off that rear spoiler, cut off the front pan and the splitter, suddenly you would have a, a massive drop in downforce that we couldn't possibly get back, or at least I wouldn't believe so, hmm. um, within the current rules. So there's, you know, it's probably where we're at a mixed point um, right now. But I, from what I've heard, it's not that we gained everything back. You also have to take in the factor of that if we're putting softer tires on them, that's a lot of mechanical grip. Yeah. Um, and we're allowing not only to you know that, but we're allowing these cars to have a lot less drag. And when they have less right. drag, they can go faster on the straightaway. So add those things all together and yes the lap times can be close um and get you know considerably close to what we had when we were super high downforce but i I, it's different in that sense you know um and it's only as i keep saying it's only going to continue down the path of where they want it to go we just got to keep continuing to make steps uh what i look at is the side skirts i've never understood the side skirts i don't know why we need them um that might be another change but hey you know that's uh We'll see what happens here going forward. It sounds I just love how open NASCAR is to listening, what's happening. And when in the last ten years have we had drivers get out of cars and be so continually positive about what we're racing and, and what they're getting to race. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. uh I just think it's all it's all good stuff. I mean the fact that we're having this conversation like, hey, maybe we could take more off. Yeah, like let's do it. Like that's awesome. This is not happening anywhere else in the world. Formula one right now is talking about adding downforce to create their cars to make them seven seconds faster to make better racing. And they had most of their drivers, someone come out and say, what are you talking about? If you add more downforce, we're going to go faster to the corner, and we can't even get closer than we are now. So, you know, it's, it's definitely funny to see that, uh, you know, we're, we're not always thought of being the most technologically advanced form of racing, but right now I'm telling you we're leading the charge in something that's going to hopefully uh, ripple throughout the entire motorsports world. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And I mean, it's it's certainly a huge change in the tenor of the conversation versus nine years ago when the car tomorrow was coming on on the scene. And you're right, it's 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 night and day. Um, and and it's a good point about about drag, as well. Somebody was trying to explain that to me last night. And is is your contention? I mean, would you agree with Carl Edwards speaking of like reducing drag? Would it make sense to you just to knock off the spoiler completely as as he seems inclined to do does that would that make sense as maybe a, a final pathway forward too nate let me ask you a question when you walk through the parking lot of a nascar sprint cup series race the fan parking lot how many cars <laughs> have spoilers and splitters on them if this is a stock car then let's race stock cars get rid of the spoilers they add nothing to the show they add nothing to the ability of the you know to relate to the road car you know at the end of the day if you look at where racing is if tomorrow, I think you and I talked about this before, but if tomorrow you told us, hey, no rules, build the fastest car you can. We build a car that would go 450 miles an hour around that around Las Vegas Motor Speedway. The driver would need a G-suit, and he would be able to go 500 miles by a tank of fuel, right? Because right. we have that technology. So no longer are we being the leaders in developing that, and, and we know the speed that we could achieve if the rules are open. So now let's 
take the rules and say, why are we, you know, why are we containing ourselves in a box? Let's make the rules we know that will make the best racing, the best entertainment product possible, the best thing that the drivers enjoy driving, the fans enjoy watching, the teams enjoy working on, and then create some excitement about the fact that we're, we're doing this in the idea of having a great, awesome product out there. And I think that's where we're going. And, you know, getting rid of splitters and spoilers and that sort of thing only gets us closer to that to say, you know, we're more about providing something that is great to watch, is great to be a part of, and great to be, you know, as a driver in. Um, and, you know, going forward to, to create the best, most healthy sport possible. Yeah, no question. And I, I think you're right. I mean, certainly, again, like visually, I think what we've seen so far on track this year has been has been encouraging uh, in that regard. Um, meanwhile, um, behind the scenes, uh, there's been some interesting drama <laughs> over the past week um, off the track with uh, Furniture Row Racing, which, uh, of course, got busted two weeks in a row for, for roof flap violations, and, and they were different in nature. But the second one, unfortunately, for the team uh, re- resulted in, in their crew chief, Cole Pern, being suspended for a race. And... Pern was at Las Vegas, Parker, as you know, because uh, they elected to appeal so that they could defer to the, the, the suspension uh, until the appeal hearing occurred. Well, today, the team decided it wasn't going to appeal, <laughs> and therefore, <laughs> Cole Pern won't be with them in Phoenix. Um, it, it strikes me, and it's struck some other observers, that uh, this seems like a rather shrewd move on the part of Furniture Row Racing, that they basically, all this cost them was a, was a $500 non-refundable appeal fee. Um, what, what do you make of it? I mean, you're, you're somebody who certainly studies the nuances of, of racing. I mean, it, it, is, is this something that, do you think other teams look at that and think, man, that's, that's smart. They, they kept their crew chief for like a really important mile and a half race that had a, had a test session on the Thursday before, or do you think there's a little irritation when they see something like this happen? You know, I, it can go either way. I mean, look, Kudos to them if, if they if they fully intended to do what we think, which was to have Cole Pern there for the test, uh, to be a part of a mile and a half race, which they think you know they could go out and get a win, considering Martin Shrek's is excellent on a mile and a half, um, and it seems like the program's really on right now. Then you know what, like it's being that innovative and and knowing that they've they've got themselves in a bad position through you know not following the rules. Um, hey, look, more kudos to them. Uh, yeah. I think I think it's cool. You know, smart on them. Will will the rule change maybe going forward? Uh, if, you know, if you really look at this one, maybe. Um, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, it's it's up. They're fully doing everything that's within the rules. You know, they're allowed to appeal, which then he's allowed to come to the track until the appeal is heard and, and a final verdict come down. And there's nothing to stop them, I guess, in this sense to say, hey, you know what? We don't want to do that appeal. New information came out over the weekend. We're, you know what? You guys, we'll take the suspension, we'll take the fine, and we'll move on. So. Right. Um, Another fact that it could be, you know, more side of uh, more less malicious than saying, "Hey, we just need a little time, you know, to figure out what we're going to do." Right. Um, that it could be as simple as that. You know, it could be to say, "Hey, you know, what? we don't know who we're going to make the crew chief in this for a week. Um, you know, do you know does this work out? You know, what where do we want? You know, do we have anyone? Um, you know, so I think that that could be another side of it. But hey, look, I, I think they they worked fully within the rules. They're going to accept their penalty for what they've done. They admit to doing them, and and uh, you know if if, uh, if they don't feel like they can be as successful at Phoenix, and it's kind of a race that they might be able to, to take a you know take the best they can get, then um, you know this is within their power to do. Yeah, no question. And in fairness, I should note that like in its release, the team did say that uh, team president Joe Garoni had sought clarification 
uh, from NASCAR. That that was initially when they said they were going to appeal last week. They said they wanted more of a of an understanding, and apparently uh, the team release said that he had a meeting with NASCAR officials, and they came to apparently a, an understanding that they felt was comfortable and, enough that they didn't have to appeal. <laughs> and, no, and you know what? It could be that simple, too. I, you yeah. know, that was another fact I didn't think. You know, they could have been. And I know Joe Garoni came on NASCAR American. I was there that day. And he it didn't seem like they fully understood yep. for the Vegas one what they what, – like fully understood exactly or if there was a way that they, they maybe had, you know, they could explain how that part ended up there, et cetera. But obviously – they they came out of their meeting and thought, you know what, we've made an infraction. We're not going to win this. Let's move on. Yeah. So yep. take you know bite the bullet and move on. Yep. Well, uh, nonetheless, we know that uh, Todd Barrier will be uh, calling the shots on race day uh, this weekend at Phoenix for for Martin Truex Jr. Uh, and certainly at Phoenix, we're expecting that Kevin Harvick. I believe he's won four of the last five at this track. I. I would think he comes in as the favorite, Parker, despite the new rules. But do you think? Would there would there be any challenge there for Kevin Harvick, knowing that the the, the 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 lower downforce might change the equation, or or do you think he keeps his edge? Have we seen Kevin Harvick have any problems in the last few years? Really, that slowed <laughs> him <yet>. down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, if we look at the low downforce races, he's done great. Those, you know, I, I mean, you know, last season they, they picked up right where they left off this season. He's been right up there. Um, you know, I, I just himself, Rodney Childers, and that four team seem to be. Uh, you know, setting the benchmark very high for the other teams out there. I know they haven't been in victory lane as much as they'd like with as many second places as they've had, but as I've said before, you can look at that as a glass half empty or glass half full. And really for them, they've got to probably look at the glass half full because um, if you're if you're finishing second as many times as they have, um, you know, you're doing something right. Uh, right. You just take a little bit more to execute there. But, I, I mean, do I think the rule changes or has, has hit – car solely been why he's winning at Vic. No, he won there in Richard Chosen's equipment. He's won there in this current equipment at SHR. Uh, I just think Kevin Harvick really gels the Phoenix uh, raceway. He's from, you know, the West Coast. Um, that sort of the flat three and four, he, he has a very unique line through three and four there. Um, he also has a unique line in one and two. I remember watching, um, I believe it was 2012, I was sitting on the, or standing on the um, spotter stand uh, with Team Penske, Roger Penske, and Tim Sinderick one time during the Xfinity race. And he was running the Xfinity race in one of the RCR cars. And he ran a completely different line in one and two. But he was by far the best car in one and two. Hmm. And it really stuck out to me. He was a lot lower. He was using a lot more of the apron. And it just looked like this sometimes drive, you know, they say there's horses for different courses, right? Yeah. And I, I hate to use weird, bold analogies, but cliche <laughs> analogies, but... It's really true because sometimes as a driver, you just gel the place. It just clicks. I don't, there's no rhyme or reason. Maybe you can look at your background or what, but for whatever reason, that racetrack and him and Harvick have clicked. And uh, if you look at the way he has a unique driving style that is his own everywhere, um, I, I could get very technical and describe a lot of what he does. He has a lot earlier turn ins than people. He uses a lot more brake on the car. He stabs far a lot harder to slot things, but it works for him. And he knows it, and he's perfected it. It's like the gol- a golfer with a swing. You know, it's maybe hard to see to the layman. Like, I can't look at Tiger Woods and tell you why his swing is different than Phil Mickelson's. But for a golfer out there, they can definitely look and see it, right? As a driver, I can see some things. I've seen some of his data. Uh, it's definitely unique. Um, and, you know, I don't I don't see, unless unless they're off as a group at Stuart Haas Racing or the four cars come with some outlandish setup, I don't see why Kevin Harvick won't pick up right where he's left off at Phoenix. Right. That's that's an interesting analogy too, Parker. I mean, I, I tell people all the time that 
covering racing is not like covering baseball or basketball. I, I can tell why Steph Curry has a beautiful jump shot. I can tell why <laughs> Ken Griffey Jr.'s swing in baseball was the, the, maybe the most perfect ever. I can't look at Harvick the way you can and tell what makes him so good. So uh, appreciate it is you. It's tough, man. It's very acquired. You know, I, in, in some of it, you know, some of it's a lot of inside baseball, though. I'll, I'll say, you know, there are some people who are very good at watching a race car. You know, there's crew chiefs out there that I've had that have maybe driven just a little bit, but they'll watch a race car and they'll see things that I didn't even feel in the car. And I'm like, hey, wow, how'd you see that? Right. And then it's true, right? And or they'll all before I've even said something, they'll tell me, and I said I was just going to say that same thing. Um, and that's just really remarkable. But a lot of it's inside baseball and the fact that you know data acquisition for us is the trace of what we do in the car. And if, you've, if you're, as, as a driver, if you, I, I was brought up on the open wheel side where we had the data acquisition from the first race car I ever drove. And so I became very adept at it, understanding it. And so when I moved around a little bit and I got to do the, the, uh, the backup driver role for Kurt Busch at Stuart Haas, I got to see some of Kevin Harvick's data. I saw it one other time before that uh, for another reason. And, and it really stuck out to me, you know, how unique he was. Um, but, you know, you, then from there, I understood kind of like what he was doing on the racetrack line-wise and being behind him. But if I were just to watch every lap and every time, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that just from watching him, what he does with the pedals. You know, that's that's inside baseball. Yeah, it's so. interesting. It's interesting to me, at least. Um, speaking of watching, uh, when people watch Phoenix with this lower downforce package, are they going to see anything different, anything you'll be watching for Sunday? You know, I, I thought about it. Uh, I think you could, for sure. I mean, those speeds in three and four will definitely be lower. Um, could allow you to move around a little bit more. When I when I did the race in 2014, um, one of the things that really stuck out to me is it was uh, that we were able to move the line around in cup a lot, uh, three and four. Um, and I think, you know, you'll just see a little bit more of that, maybe a little bit more diamonding in three and four from a lot of drivers. Jimmy Johnson's big about doing that. You might see him move up. Um, and then one and two, I think the same thing. You know, the speeds probably will be, you know, depending on the tire, I mean, I always have to go back to the tire, but I, I think it could be a certain effect there. The braking zones, you know, you'll probably be a little bit longer. Um, so it just it changes everything. You know, it might it might just allow a little bit more off well, it has off throttle time, a little bit more time on the brake, uh, all of which can add up to a little bit more ability to pass, and that that's what we've been working on. So it might not be glaringly different, but you know, it really depends on the tire. But it definitely should be different than what we've seen. Right. Uh, obviously, unfortunately, again, no, no trucks this weekend, everybody. So you'll have to wait a few more weeks to see Parker Kligerman back behind the wheel. But uh, thanks for reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, you're going to enjoy that that points leader uh, mojo uh, all the way through the end of of this month. But in the meantime, um, Xfinity Series, of course, is is running each week with, with Cup. And although I know the storyline there has remained the same, Parker with Cup guys, of course, winning the races, there is a little bit of a different. Um, development there in terms of the points uh, with the Xfinity's new chase system coming into play this year. And I'll let you explain, you know, what, what, what you've seen there, what that means. Yeah, well, first of all, if you say cup guys, we might be a little bit off. It's been just basically Kyle Busch. I know Chase Elliott won Daytona, <laughs> but I, let's be honest, That's true. Kyle Busch. Guy led 199 out of 200 laps. Uh, if that wasn't at his hometown, I think they would have thrown him out of the place. But <laughs> <laughs> that was very impressive. But, uh, no, it is cool. And, you know, fans have asked me in the last couple months, you know, okay, what do you think about the chase being brought to trucks and being brought to Xfinity? And trucks, I think it's going to be very intense because I think you're going to have a, more than eight winners this season um, or at least get close. 
And But if you look at the equipment and the amount of talented drivers and trucks this year, I, I definitely think you'll see more than eight. So you're going to ha- either have to win multiple races or win and have better points than trucks to make the top eight. In Xfinity, obviously, historically, we have not seen Xfinity regulars win races in the abundance that we'd have more than 12 winners. But what it does do, and it's, you know, to me it's no different than what we always talk about, it is points, it's going to be about points. But the interesting thing to me is when you look back at the 12th place position, and that's so cool because we'd never be talking about these guys. Well, who's back there right now? You've got Jeremy Clemens, who's 12th. His is a, a tiny, small, a very small family-run team. It's got basically, I think, three employees. Hmm. His dad is the crew chief. His dad is the engine builder. They built their own engines, um, and they're sitting there in the chase right now. Behind him, you have Ross Chastain, who's, I believe, uh, 13th. Uh, or 14th, one of the two. I can't, sorry, I can't remember off the top of my head. And he's on that, that JD Motorsports team that last year I think finished about 20th in points, 21st. And suddenly, you know, we're talking about him being like, hey, this is a fringe contender. And this is a very small team, and it would be a huge deal if they were to lock themselves in the chase and lock themselves 12th in points. If they never went further than that in the chase and 12th in points, it'd be about 10 positions better than that team's ever finished. So, I mean, it's really impressive. I, I, you know, I take that back. It'd be about seven positions because uh, Landon Castle finished 12 that team gotcha. uh, two years ago. Right. But, you know, that's cool. And then you look back and you got Bubba Wallace, who's had, a, you know, not the best start right now. But he is in a fully funded rush, family ride, you know, top of the line deal. And he's back there now having to fight against these different smaller teams. I just think it's an incredible dynamic that's brought to the series to be talking about these guys and these smaller teams that we wouldn't be doing right now on the third race. You know, we'd be talking about Daniel Suarez, we'd be talking about Eric Jones, um, we'd be talking about Brandon Jones and Justin Algar, which we really do because of the top five, but these guys would be so far back points-wise by the fifth race, we wouldn't even mention it. You know, it'd be cool if Jeremy Clemens was still in the top ten, we'd maybe talk about it, but now we're talking about 12th through 10th in that area, 15th, and it really brought light to that, and I think that's only a good thing for the sport. And uh, for the fans out there that, that do care about, you know, the smaller teams that con- you know constantly uh, hit me up, hit you up, probably hit a lot of us up about talking about them more, this is going to do that, and that's what you need to be excited about. Is it's going to give us a reason and a, and a reason to pay attention um, and to, uh, you know, to be able to sell it to people to say this is, this is what's happening, and I think that's a good deal. Yeah, I mean, that, that certainly makes my job easier when I have the Jeremy Clements or the, the Ross Ch- Chastain stories that, I mean, that, those are stories that write themselves, and I know that when, when NASCAR has tried to go directionally in, in finding better storylines uh, over the last several years, I think that's been part of their goal. I think underdog storylines are what sells, and, and it's not just for people like me in the news media. I mean, as you alluded to at the top, Parker, for for a team that has three employees, even if you haven't won yet, if you can just stand on a street corner and, and proclaim, hey, uh, I'm going to be a part of the championship hunt. I'm going to be in the playoffs. People relate to that term. I, that can really make a difference. I mean, essentially, like, it, yes, it's a little bit of an art, artificial construct, but essentially what NASCAR has given these teams an opportunity to do by instituting the playoffs is given them a way to sell themselves in a new way that, uh, you know, you would hope might attract more money, right? And you hit the nail on the head. That's, I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, it's, it can't be explained any other way. than, and, and I didn't even think about it that far that, you know, if Jeremy Clemens makes a chase, come the time, the, the, you know, the cutoff race, the first race, he's in the chase. Suddenly he can go to his sponsors, whoever, and be like, hey, look, his supporters, like, look, we made the chase for one of the 12 best cars. We're not going to finish any worse than 12. Uh, or I guess it, actually the rules do change that so you get moved out. But anyways, 
The fact of the matter is he has a chance to be a part of the playoffs. He's going to be part of all the media that goes with that, all, you know, all the things, and that's only a positive, and I think that's a great thing. You know, we've got to – it's hard to justify sometimes, and I, I'm, a, I'm a huge proponent sometimes in Cup of, of explaining that, you know, unlike the NFL – where it's team versus team, where you can point out the day that the Jacksonville Jaguars beat, I don't know, the Giants, right? Uh, to say, wow, that was a really good day for them. You know, like that, you can talk about that and explain exactly why that was a good day. But for us, all our teams play on the same field every race, right? So explaining to someone when a car like uh, Front Row Motorsports, 38 car, Landon Castle, if he goes out and finishes 15th, explaining to someone why that's a huge day, it's hard, right? Right. And or even the next city series, explaining why Jeremy Clemens fighting to be in the top ten in points is a big deal. That's a hard thing to do. But if suddenly, like you said, we can say, well, you know, well, this is big because they're starting to play around the championship guys. These are the guys that are in the chase. They're going to go to the playoffs, et cetera, et cetera. It changes the rhetoric a little bit and just makes it easier for other people to understand. So I think that's a cool thing. Um, I know it's I know it's a great thing uh, for them. Uh, but hopefully the fans understand that to you know embrace it to say okay you know this makes sense to bring some light to these guys that that do work very hard that do great things just uh, you know at the end of the day they don't have the funding or the budget to, to do it at the front of the field. Yeah, yeah, it certainly it bears watching regardless, uh, and I I think you articulated well right there as to the reason why. Well, uh, speaking of watching, uh, we're taping this on on a Tuesday, and and Parker is about to head into makeup. Because he's got NASCAR America to do, so you'll be you'll yes. be watching him uh, on TV. So I uh, want to let you go and do that, and uh, certainly know you've you've got many of those appearances coming up before you're back behind the wheel. So I hope that every time you're on NASCAR America, you're making sure they're allowing you to savor. You are the Truck Series points leader through the end of this month. <laughs> Believe me, I, I haven't let anyone forget it out there. I I, <laughs> I, uh, I was hanging out with my friends the other day, and I was like, Hey, look, you know you're hanging out with the number one Truck Series racer in the world. So. <laughs> I just want you guys to know that at this point in time. To, to just, you know, if you want to buy this dinner, thank you. No, it's <laughs> cool. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, excited to be on NASCAR America in a little bit and, and um, you know, continue doing what we're doing here and, and uh, bringing, you know, fans new insights like this and this podcast. I hope they let this enjoy this podcast. You do a great job with it, Nate. I enjoy being on it. And, uh, you know, thanks to all the fans that listen out there. And, and uh, hopefully when we get back on track in Martinsville, We'll uh, be able to continue our our good run here and, and stay there and lead at the points or at least in the top five would be a good day to come out of there with because I think we're gonna we're gonna have some great runs in, in these next four. Outstanding. So. Sounds good, Parker. We appreciate you being on. Thanks for giving you uh, giving us so much of your time, and uh, we'll definitely have you back. Thanks again. Appreciate it. Nate. Thanks. I'm Steve Latart, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.